0: this is a pretty cool discovery, a 15th century manuscript. It has been discovered and it's giving us a very rare glimpse into what comedy performances looked like in medieval times. So what's in the manuscript? Joining us to talk more about that is James Wade, Associate Professor and Director of Studies at Cambridge University's Girton College. Dr. Wade, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thank, thank you for having me on. Well, this is quite interesting. You don't often here about a script, a rare glimpse into medieval live comedy, this manuscript. How did this all come about?
1: Sure. So I was in the National Library of Scotland in the um, Special Collections reading room looking at at some medieval manuscripts. And um, I I came across the one manuscript that had some some comic text in it, had some nonsense poetry. uh, And this this was really unusual, and it kind of caught my eye. Um, and, and so, I, uh, yeah, I started to sort of to look into the manuscript and think about um, where these texts came from.
0: And where did they come from?
1: Well, they, they came from a, a scribe named Richard Hege. And Hege um, lived in the uh, you know, second half of the 15th century um, in, in or around um, a village of the same name in Derbyshire. Um, so on, on, on the, the border with Nottinghamshire. Um, and he was a really interesting scribe and an unusual scribe in that um, he um, first named himself. We often think of medieval scribes as anonymous um, and simply sort of um, copiers of, of from one uh, pre existing text to, to another. Um, but, but there was one line that, that struck me when looking at this manuscript, and it was a, a signature line. At the end of a text um, of a, a, a nonsense poem, he wrote, By me, Richard Hege because I was at that feast and did not have a drink. Um, And so it was a really interesting um, um, witness to one, a a scribe showing showing a bit of character and a bit of humor, Um, but then also it got me thinking about about the origins of these texts. the scribe here is suggesting that the texts don't don't come from just a pre-existing copy, but rather from, from live performance.
0: So, looking at what you've discovered, this is text. It's from 1480 or around that time. It's difficult to even imagine that.
1: Yeah, we, you know, we we know that minstrels, um, you know, existed in the Middle Ages. That there were there were lots of minstrels around, and that they commonly performed at at pubs and taverns and alehouses and fairs and baronial halls and royal courts. Um, but one of, the, one of the really interesting things about medieval manuscripts is that not one of them um, um, can we, you know, confidently tie to an actual minstrel performer. So to have a, a kind of insight into um, texts that a minstrel would have performed is, is really rare uh, and exciting.
0: And does this also give us a look or a glimpse at stand-up comedy and that type of comedy in its earliest form?
1: Yeah, it, it, you know, one of the, one of the the most surprising conclusions of of, of, of this research is is that it, it kind of changes the way we think about um, a, a repertoire for for a medieval minstrel. You know, we we tend to think that minstrels were performing Robin Hood ballads or you know tales of chivalry and adventure or accounts of great battles. Um, but here we see something much closer to stand-up comedy. Um, slapstick humor, sort of crude bodily humor, um, situational humor that, you know, that pokes fun at the audience and that assumes that the audience is kind of participating in the jokes. Um, and so there's a lot of the comedy is, is, is surprisingly similar to, to the, kind, the forms of comedy that we see today.
0: And what does this manuscript tell us about minstrels and where they kind of fit into the medieval hierarchy, what society was like at that time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it, you know another interesting conclusion of of this research is is that you know this minstrel was was probably you know only kind of semi professional. Yeah, you know, wasn't a big celebrity. Probably had a day job, you know, working as as a plowman or a peddler or you know involved in some some trade or craft, and then went gigging at night. Um, and 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 another thing that I suppose we witness about this minstrel is is um, that he was probably working a local regular beat of, of, of villages and, and locations and taverns and alehouses. Um, and, and we're pretty confident that you know, the, the main kind of venue for a menstrual would be um, a kind of drinking establishment, um, what we would now call a bar.
0: I understand as well, this is now the earliest recorded use of the term red herring. Can you explain that a little bit more?
1: So, one of the texts is a mock sermon. Um, so, it's a, 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 a kind of comedic performance where the minstrel would sort of assume the, the character of a priest and give this sort of absurdist or ridiculous um, sermon. Um, and, and one of the, the examples that, that's in the sermon is a story of, of three kings who have a feast. And these kings um, eat so much and they drink so much that their bellies burst open. And out of their bellies come uh, 24 oxen who are sword fighting. Um, and they and these oxen cut each other up so much that they're reduced um, to three red herring, um, and that's the end. That's the end of the story. So what we see is this sort of absurdist fantasy in which kings are, are kind of you know uh, represented as being gluttonous and drunken, and the result of that is this sort of is this is this sort of worthless distraction. Um, the outcome of kings getting together is that you end up um, with red herring.
0: And where has the manuscript been? I know we're getting this great look at it now, but it's been around for so long. How are these details just coming about now?
1: Well, it's it's been extensively studied. I mean, you know, most notably by, by, by Philippa Philip Harbin more recently. Um, but it was, you know, it, it, it sort of, ex- it's post-medieval life. It existed in, in um, a, you know, a country house library for, for many years. And then in the early years of the 1800s, um, it was sent to Robert Southie, um, who was staying with the Coleridge's at the time, Um, and and Southie didn't really know what to do with it, he he, didn't really understand what the texts were, he couldn't read it, so he he went to Edinburgh and and showed it to Sir Walter Scott, who said, well, hey, look, this is is pretty interesting, we need to preserve this manuscript, Uh, but he didn't have the money to to buy it, Um, so he, he was trying to build Abbotsford, and he was basically broke at the time. So he convinced his fellow advocates um, to put up the money, and so that's um, how it got um, into the, li- the advocates' library. And then, when the advocates' library was absorbed into the National Library of Scotland, um, it became part of their holdings. So that's how it ended up in Scotland, um, and um, and it's been it's been there ever since.
0: Well, it is a fascinating look into medieval times, Dr. Wade. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me on.